the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now, this week we are talking about lots of uh, tech news, both uh, local and international, and looking at uh, a bit of hands-on time with a product or two. Now, huge thanks to the brands that stand behind the New Zealand Tech Podcast and make this show possible on an ongoing basis. That is Vodafone New Zealand, Spark, Vocus, HP, Samsung, and Sumo Logic. So let's uh, let's jump straight in. Uh, first up, Kickstarter, which of course is the crowdfunding platform that facilitates the launch of uh, many many tech products, amongst other things, uh, is lying, laying off some thirty nine percent of their staff uh, due to the impact of COVID. Nineteen. This just seems to be a, a an ongoing uh, trend. We've we've just seen so many uh, firms that are heavily uh, hit, uh, particularly those uh, new and uh, disruptive uh, players. And of course, when we look at, for instance, Airbnb, you can understand why they're uh, they're in a lot of strife at the moment because uh, there's very little accommodation they're able to uh, help with. Uh, Uber probably not. Uh, Quite as as extreme, but you know many of these uh, types of firms are getting uh, are getting hit. So, uh, look, I hope for our, for our sake here in New Zealand uh, that there will be enough funding and and support uh, for a lot of our our uh, tech oriented firms and and our startups, and uh, that they will come out uh, strong on the other side if they've got uh, good viable long term businesses. Uh, now, there's been an acquisition, Ultrafast uh, Fiber, who of course are the um, local fibre company or LF, uh, LFC who were given the contract for delivering uh, ultra-fast broadband fibre uh, network to uh, Hamilton, Tauranga, uh, Whanganui, New Plymouth, uh, Tokoroa, uh, Harbara, uh, Cambridge and Te Awamutu. So uh, yeah, that's interesting to see that um, the, the um, local ownership is, uh, is going to change and that will, uh, will head into uh, overseas hands. So, uh, yeah, established by uh, Well Networks and also the other shareholder, uh, Waipa Networks. So, uh, they're they're uh, they're exiting, and uh, that gets into the into the hands um, of a private equ- private equity firm um, off offshore. Now, cars, autonomous cars, eh, something I, I I quite like to uh, quite like to follow. So, I was interested to see uh, an email come come through in regards to. A bit of a play from uh, Volvo, who are going to be uh, selling LiDAR-equipped uh, vehicles to their customers by uh, by twenty twenty two, apparently. Uh, and of course, you know, LiDAR is the uh, the technology that um, I guess quite a, you know quite a number of the autonomous uh, vehicle technologies that we've uh, that we've seen uh, dem- demonstrated uh, including that from um, uh, from Google slash uh, alphabet uh, their, their vehicles you know reliant heavily uh, on L- lidar but of course lidar has, has had the challenge that the, it's, it's been very very expensive and so you know ten, tens of thousands of uh, dollars to uh, to put lidar sensors in a vehicle uh, but what we're hearing from from uh, Volvo is that they have 
they have a, a partnership with a uh, a Florida uh, USA uh, based company called uh, Luminar, and they've got some uh, some pretty impressive uh, lidar uh, technology, apparently with a range of two hundred and fifty meters. And uh, in some way uh, affordable, so it, it will be fascinating to see what this does in terms of uh, impacting the price of the vehicles from Volvo. And of course, Volvo have, have uh, you know long uh, focused on being a, a company that sells very, very uh, safe vehicles, very sh- strong uh, vehicles, uh, and that uh, drivers and passengers alike can uh, can f- can feel safer in the uh, the Volvo, and of course, autonomous driving technology and and the associated sort of you know safety technologies, even when being uh, driven by a human, uh, are, are definitely something that can help on that safety front as the technology matures. So this is going to be interesting uh, one to watch, and you know of course uh, it, it does seem as though there's a there's been quite a move in the other uh, direction or away from lidar. Uh, if we look at the technology from uh, Mobile Eye, which is used in uh, by many um, many brands today for some you know, varying levels of sort of safety features within their vehicles, company. Israeli uh, company now uh, now part of uh, Intel and that was the, the same technology that Tesla started out using they've gone on to using their own uh, uh, software rather than that from uh, Mobile Eye uh, but but uh, they've certainly pushed back against the need for uh, for lidar uh, so yeah very very interesting to uh, to, to see that movement uh, there is I, I saw a video a few weeks ago actually I'm just trying to place the name of the um, company but they're um, uh, been testing their autonomous vehicles in uh, San Francisco, and in there, in the, in that case, the uh, the particular uh, vehicles are, are definitely geared up with uh, with a whole mix of sensors, and lidar is is one of those. So yeah, the the, the idea of uh, of lidar being uh, being important is certainly still uh, still up for up for debate. And it, it is a very, uh, very useful uh, technology in, in terms of really being able to uh, uh, scan around and see uh, see what's in the area and get that uh, get that uh, picture, uh, that digital three uh, D map. So yeah, uh, oh, Zooks was the the firm I was uh, thinking of. Z double O X. Uh, there's quite an interesting uh, video up on YouTube uh, that uh, shows their vehicle driving around San Francisco and just how it navigates through the streets. Uh, the video I think runs about 20 minutes. It's running about double speed, if I remember correctly. So there's there's a good. Uh, a really good block of of you know real world uh, footage, and you know who knows how many takes they took, but it was uh, it was certainly certainly a good uh, good example just to see their vehicle uh, moving around uh, San Francisco through all the traffic uh, with people crossing the road, and uh, also it shows the 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 view of what the S software sees. So it sort of puts frames around different things that it that it sees. Uh, and one thing that it that it has, which uh, Tesla haven't haven't quite got to with their autonomous tech yet, is it does a very good job of navigating around uh, cars that have you know, stopped in a lane or maybe uh, you know sticking out a little bit in terms of you know where they park into the traffic. Uh, so if you're interested in autonomous vehicles, that one is worth a look. Uh, just look up uh, Zooks, and uh, you'll you'll find that one up on uh, up on YouTube.
now on to uh, on to other topics. One that had the had the news uh, just in the in, um, just yeah in the last twenty four hours uh, is a police trial. Uh, of facial recognition technology, and this is something that our politicians have uh, have jumped in on because uh, local police have been uh, putting putting a little bit of uh, the, the internationally available uh, facial recognition technology uh, to the test. Now, this is is certainly. I think uh, a, a little worrying if we were just suddenly going to start rolling this stuff out. Um, and Andrew Little's comments were, um, you know, were, were were pretty negative towards the uh, scenario of police trying out the uh, the, the, the technology. Um, but I guess I'm, you know, I'm of the opinion that police need to understand what technology is is available uh, from a surveillance uh, perspective, and they should understand how. Uh, how the technology works, even if we we decide uh, as a country this is not the sort of uh, track that we wish to go down in, in terms of being able to monitor people and track them, uh, because the te- the technology which comes uh, from a company called uh, Clearview, uh, who have this, I think we've spoken about it on an NZ Tech podcast before, they have this massive searchable uh, database of people that we understand is, has been you know scraped from various uh, social media sites and and other uh, sources, but of course this could be used by a criminal element, by gangs and and others in New Zealand. So I think it is important that police understand how it works. Uh, whether it's something that becomes uh, part of the tool set that police use in New Zealand uh, or not, well, that, that that's a that's a whole other question, and certainly it seems uh, as though the the current government aren't uh, aren't very keen on on going down that track, and uh, I can I can understand that uh, that aspect. So yes, let's uh, let's see how that progresses. But um, you know, my hope is that at least the police will will gain a good understanding of how this technology works and what its possibilities are. Now in other news, there has been a flaw discovered with the Thunderbolt protocol, uh, the Thunderbolt ports that we find in many of our laptops today, MacBooks and lots of Windows machines. Interestingly, uh, it was released a little while ago, it was was, uh, shared that Possibly the reason that Microsoft have not included Thunderbolt ports in their Surface Pro, Surface Laptop and other Surface products is because of uh, their concerns around security and maybe this, uh, this recent news there that uh, devices with Thunderbolt ports are susceptible uh, to ThunderSpy, which is a method of uh, stealing data, uh, even if it's encrypted on a system uh, that is locked and you don't have the password for it. So I went through and I watched the um, video where this exploit was shown, and it is con- pretty concerning. And in about five minutes, if you've got physical access to a computer, but you don't have the password, then uh, you can get access to data on it. So uh, that's yes, a little a little concerning for those that are uh, hoping that their data is safe. Maybe it is not so safe any longer. All right, now it's time to talk about what Microsoft are up to in New Zealand with a pretty big announcement this week. Basically, what they're doing is they're going to be offering New Zealand as a region for their cloud services. Now, I think some people would have thought this would never happen, 
and certainly in the early days of Microsoft's cloud services, they were they were available just in a very very small number of regions. Now they came from behind, of course, with uh, Amazon, AWS really holding the uh, the dominant position in the market as they still do today. Uh, but Microsoft have been coming on very very strongly. Uh, of course, there are other players in the market as well. Uh, Google really being the next uh, the next one uh, behind Microsoft, but behind by quite a significant margin. So Microsoft are moving into the New Zealand market. They're going to be offering their Azure services. Office 365, really their their whole um, uh, you know suite of of core services will be available locally. Now today, New Zealand businesses that want access uh, to those cloud services from Microsoft, of course, are utilising data centres predominantly in Australia, being the closest to New Zealand. Uh, technical terms, 30 milliseconds or so uh, away. But this move will see data centre uh, within the Auckland area, uh, from what we're hearing at the moment, possibly in the direction of $100 million. So this is a really a really big commitment on Microsoft's part. And look, this will impact who people will use for their local hosting. Now, in many cases, a lot of organizations are already hosting with uh, Microsoft, uh, Amazon Web Services, Google, and others outside of New Zealand. So there's an aspect of this that will bring uh, business into New Zealand. Of course, it will create jobs uh, here and investment here in New Zealand. But there will be some uh, further disruption of local services, I'm sure, as more of those, uh, the, those cloud workloads, uh, hosted workloads, local servers get migrated into Microsoft's various uh, services, whether it's their full Office 365 or Microsoft 365 as they've just rebranded it to uh, in recent days or, or for a large, uh, large chunk of the Office 365 offering. Uh, exactly how that yeah how that will play out will be interesting to see. Um, one that I haven't seen any information on yet is a secondary data center. So if, for instance, you look at what Microsoft are doing in Australia, uh, they are in Sydney and Melbourne, if I remember correctly. And so if you have information stored on a Sydney server, in a lot of cases, you might choose to have that replicated uh, to Melbourne as well. So if there was some major issue in Sydney, then Melbourne would pick up. Now, I haven't heard anything about how that would work for New Zealand at this stage. So there, there is certainly an unknown there. Hopefully not a, well, we will see. Could be a chink in, uh, in Microsoft's armour. One of the reasons why this is important uh, for Microsoft and for those that use Microsoft uh, services in New Zealand is that there are concerns and risks and issues with having data on servers in Australia from uh, a legal standpoint where the Australian uh, government potentially can take take control or or you know request some level of access uh, to data that is stored in Australia this ongoing challenge of data sovereignty i.e. data stored offshore and outside of New Zealand governmental control could easily be solved for a lot of Microsoft customers here in New Zealand as soon as Microsoft open up their Azure region here. 
and if Microsoft doesn't get this spot on, then it could continue to be an issue. Now, very interesting to see what happens next. I would imagine out of Google and Amazon, if anyone's going to be moving into New Zealand quickly, uh, quite likely that would be uh, that would be Amazon. But we will we will wait and see. I remember hearing last year about Microsoft announcing uh, opening up a data center region in Africa, and that happened in uh, the March time frame this year. That opened, and then a few weeks after that opened, AWS made an announcement that they were going to uh, follow and I think we're opening up in South Africa so yeah quite quite possibly we will see that in the future I don't know the numbers and how that stacks up but I imagine hey AWS probably like to stay competitive with Microsoft although the stats that I've seen suggest that Microsoft has data centers right now in a lot more regions than uh, that uh, Microsoft has data centers in a lot more regions than AWS is. So maybe AWS have have figured they don't they don't need to be uh, quite as widespread as uh, Microsoft. But if that's the case, I imagine in the long run that will hurt them. So this is going to be an interesting one to follow. And yeah, I'm sure there's going to be uh, some concerns, particularly for those that are uh, working within the local data center. Um, providers here in New Zealand who will, will I imagine, have uh, some sort of impact uh, from this, although it's fair to say that uh, there there is uh, still a continued move away from uh, on-premises, in-house uh, infrastructure uh, to varying providers. And, and so, um, you know, that, that continued transition maybe we'll make it not as as big a blow as it could be. Now, moving on, uh, iPad Pro is a product that I've been playing with uh, recently and for one sort of major reason, I suppose, because the the recent uh, iPad Pro that came out here in New Zealand, not dramatically different from their last model, the 2018 model in in some regards in terms of its its processing and power. Uh, Certainly a bit of a step up with uh, they've they've built, uh, we were talking about LiDARs before, but Apple have actually built a, it must be a very low cost LiDAR, Uh, they've built that into the, uh, the iPad Pro uh, from from the perspective of augmented uh, reality and able to sort of scan a uh, scan a room, which is quite interesting. So that that, that is a an, a nice addition. Uh, but the thing that I was really interested in was this magic keyboard, as Apple call it. And of course, they're always very good at uh, coming up with uh, with with catchy uh, branding for for what they launch. And the magic keyboard is really the the thing that turns the iPad Pro into well almost a touchscreen uh, laptop and so you basically are adding not just a, a keyboard cover as we've had uh, in the past in terms of a, a smart keyboard cover but uh, this has a, a reasonable trackpad on it you can use your g- gestures and so on and of course the iPad operating system iPad OS, as it's as it's been named in uh, recent times, is supporting basically you know, having that pointer 
on your screen and being able to move around the the mouse cursor and not not just that but Apple have taken a, a, a slightly different approach than what we've seen before with the way that that works with uh, with apps that have been designed for it. So as you move your pointer around onto you know, particular parts of the screen, your pointer disappears, but you end up with a selection on the items that you're clicking on. Uh, it, it seems uh, seems quite nice, actually. I like, I like the approach. Uh, so I've been playing around with this a little bit. Probably a, a couple of um, a couple of d- dis- disappointments. I think in, in general, this is really a taste of the future and of where uh, Apple are going. And for those that have been using iPads and, and iPad Pros as their only device, this just makes them uh, more useful and more powerful. And for those that are maybe a little bit on the edge and would really quite like the idea of not having a full-blown Mac or Windows operating system and they like iOS and iPad OS, then yeah, this just uh, just makes it that much that much more uh, useful. And, and of course, you know, having that trackpad, that allows you uh, to be able to do a, a range of things, really. Uh, for instance, those who are wanting to, you know, remote control or access a uh, a server that's that's in their uh, their premises, which has all their apps on it, then this really opens up that possibility. Citrix and and the and the like, those types of uh, technology, Citrix and, and remote desktop, uh, Team Viewer, those things can be uh, can be can be run, of course, from uh, the the iPad, and you've really got this this uh, reasonably complete package. Uh, with the magic uh, keyboard and it's and it's in- included uh, trackpad so what were the letdowns for me well I think two things sort of stood out one is if I uh, dock it with my uh, big large widescreen is actually all it's doing with the display is it's mirroring the iPad pro screen onto the bigger screen so it doesn't take advantage of the ultra wide screen that I've got uh, the other is it's not really geared up to be able to plug in. And in my case, because I do a lot of uh, video and podcasting and so on, uh, it's not geared up to be able to take advantage of my uh, cameras. So I have a, a camera that goes through a um, uh, a little uh, mixer, and that allows me to have you know multiple cameras linked in effectively as as uh, as webcams, and it doesn't uh, doesn't work with those things. And look, everybody will have have some things that they they miss out on if they go from a full blown uh, Mac or a PC. And they go to a you know a tablet style device, but of course this, as I say, is a bit of a taste of the future because from all the reports we're hearing, it seems as though um, Mac, the Mac operating system, and uh, and iPad are going to just get closer and closer together. Uh, it's rumored that next year we will see Macs launching uh, with. The ARM processors, rather than uh, just the Intel processors, and if that's anything like what we saw in, in years gone by, uh, that move uh, that happened, whoa, I don't know how many years ago it would be now, uh, maybe in the direction of, of uh, fourteen, uh, certainly, but yeah, between probably ten and fifteen years ago, um, maybe even a, l- a little bit longer, where Apple transitioned uh, from their PowerPC uh, chips. That they co-developed with IBM and uh, and Motorola are uh, two Intel-based chips, 
and that was, I, th- I think, uh, a transition that took place in under two years. If they were to do that here, which I, I don't know whether ARM chips would be powerful enough to be able to completely dislodge the uh, the Intel chips, uh, but we, we're, we're up for some interesting times ahead as as Apple uh, looks to make big changes and, and transition, and certainly the, this uh, current iPad Pro with the Magic Keyboard is, is a real taste of that, and of course you can also use it with a wireless uh, keyboard and, and mouse, and so yeah, it is becoming more... Uh, more PC-like, and you can use it with the uh, the the stylus or the Apple pencil as as well. So, um, yeah, very interesting to to look at. I'm um, I've, I've enjoyed my time uh, playing with it so far, but of course there are, there are some apps that just uh, aren't available on a mobile operating system yet uh, that we tend to use, or they're dulled dulled down. Uh, they're not not quite as powerful, um, but there are there are other apps that are more suited to that uh, em- environment. So we'll uh, we'll see how that progresses. I think um, we're, we're still waiting to see refreshes of, of varying apps. For instance, Microsoft Office isn't really geared up uh, to be able to work with that uh, um, this this effectively you know mouse or uh, you know a trackpad uh, control. On the iPad uh, Pro yet, but uh, that that will be coming in the months ahead. So definitely something if you're uh, if you're an iPad fan to uh, to keep a watch on. And I believe that these same uh, capabilities with the uh, mouse and 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 pointer are available with a, a standard iPad as well. So you don't necessarily need an iPad uh, Pro to be able to use these capabilities. Um, the keyboard, interestingly, is actually pretty heavy. That's that's um, one thing to be aware of if you're looking for something sort of small and light. The keyboard, I think, possibly actually weighs uh, more than the than the iPad uh, Pro itself. It's, pr- it's pretty hefty. Uh, but it does work reasonably well on your lap, which is, is something that you can't say uh, that the Microsoft uh, Surface Pro is so good. Often not very, not very good and sort of, you know, tumbles over. Uh, the, the iPad Pro uh, is, is a bit more lappable, I guess, is the, is the term I think that Microsoft coined. But uh, it, it turns out that uh, Apple have landed up better on the, uh, the lappability front. Now, on to uh, a couple of other bits of um, uh, news on devices. Uh, Oppo's A91 uh, landed in New Zealand recently. I've been playing around with it. It's uh, it's launched into the market at $649. So this is sort of the the mid to or upper um, mid mid tier type uh, smartphone. And look, in some ways, I was um, I was disappointed because it runs uh, Android nine, but it's got a uh, a nice big six point four inch uh, AMOLED display, which is is quite nice, uh, and it also has. Very nice uh, cameras, I, I thought, for for the price point. And one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of years is these uh, smartphones with cameras that work reasonably well uh, in very, very dim uh, situations. And I found that the, uh, the Oppo A91 uh, stood out and that it actually handled that pretty well, which there aren't, aren't too many of the... Uh, the lower priced phones it really tends to be the flagships that that will shoot well uh, in those sort of nighttime and dusk and 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 dark type scenarios and uh, yeah it handled that well 
and uh, yeah, generally seem to seem to work well with sort of a, a, a range of photography, uh, which for me is is always quite an important part of the um, of a smartphone. So yeah, it's not uh, it's not going to be as awesome as your one to two thousand dollar plus smartphone, but for its price point, uh, seems to be seems to be very uh, very reasonable and well worth looking at. And it's got the uh, in screen uh, fingerprint. Uh, reader as well, so yeah. Overall, stood out to me as uh, as a as well worthy of uh, of consideration for that that uh, that sort of price point with a nice uh, nice big display and a yeah, pretty capable uh, Android handset. Now the other gadget uh, that I've spent a bit of time with is Dell's new XPS uh, 13 and Dell have this week also announced the refreshes of the um, XPS uh, 15 as well and then they've brought back the XPS 17 which I, I don't think um, we've we've had one of those available in the market for uh, for quite some time and look these are really nice uh, thin and light laptops and they have very very nice displays that go you know there's just a very tiny bezel around them so you're squeezing in a lot of screen and a lot of uh, computer for your money uh, they've got uh, Windows Hello cameras built in so you've got that uh, that that recognition that comes uh, through the camera uh, as as well as um, Pretty sure it's a fingerprint reader on the uh, on the on the power button as well, which is on the on the keyboard. Although I didn't set that up on the one that I've been uh, I've been using. Uh, but this is uh, this is the refresh from uh, Dell with their XPS range um, that that introduces the tenth uh, generation uh, processors uh, core processors from uh, from Intel, and so you're really getting uh, very very good battery life across um, across that that range the XPS uh, thirteen uh, fifteen and uh, and seventeen. And as I say, you've got that uh, that sort of edge-to-edge screen. Interestingly, they've moved, uh, and, and I'm talking about the XPS 13 because the, the other two are, have, have only just been announced. Um, but um, although I, I, I think there are uh, details around online, but I'm talking about the one I've had the hands-on with, um, two USB-C ports, so you can, uh, you can dock these and, and charge them and so on. Um, but that's virtually it in terms of um, traditional ports. Uh, there, there is also uh, a headphone jack and uh, a a slot for uh, putting a micro uh, SD card, I believe. So yeah, well uh, worth considering if you're a bit of a, a Dell fan. Of course, all the manufacturers really now have been rolling out. Uh, and bringing into the market their um, their devices with the in- Intel tenth um, tenth gen chips, um, depending on which range you're you're looking at, because there are still more of those uh, processors to uh, uh, to land in the market, uh, particularly at the uh, the the enterprise end. Um, but there are there are a growing uh, range of uh, range of devices. Um, but yes, that XPS thirteen quite. Uh, Quite quite impressed actually. Uh, it seems to be you know well designed. The the, the cooling uh, and venting and so on is is, is nice and uh, yeah just a nice sort of um, uh, aluminium uh, feel 
uh, to it with its, uh, you know, that, that metal um, case. So, yeah, a bit of a surprise for me because I, you know, haven't haven't caught too many Dell devices lately that have uh, that have stood out to me. But yeah, I think the uh, the XPS um, thirteen is not too bad. Um, now on to um, um, what else we got before we before we finish up? Oh, five uh, G here in New Zealand. So um, you know the auction that was going to happen to uh, to make um, some some five G bands available to our telcos that got uh, that got dumped because of COVID nineteen, and the government has gone ahead and uh, distributed distributed or, or made um, or allocated. Uh, um, uh, a range so that our local uh, telcos can uh, can get underway and start uh, testing and utilising 5G for the next couple of years uh, until it is time for the long-term uh, 5G auction. So, yes, that'll be very, uh, very interesting to see how things progress. Looks like Spark will be moving ahead and launching some 5G over the next 12 months to join uh, Vodafone. Uh, Vodafone, of course, they, they had, uh, I think it was they launched with around 100 uh, 5G cell sites. I'm not quite sure what they're, what they're up to uh, at the moment, but I do find uh, most often when I have a look on the um, Samsung uh, Galaxy s 20 uh, Ultra, I think it is, that I'm using, that I'm not getting a 5G signal. So it sort of comes down to where you are, whether you're going to be able to really take advantage of that uh, that 5G that's, that's out there at the moment. Uh, and, of course, you'd have to be on Vodafone Network to be able to get it as well. But uh, Spark are obviously... On their on their way, and they have a little bit of five uh, G for some uh, um, fixed wireless uh, broadband as well for sort of you know, home and home and business uh, use and fixed fixed locations. A little bit unclear where uh, where two degrees are at. Their their challenges are a little bit bigger because that their whole network has been built uh, by Huawei uh, and even uh, financed by Huawei to a degree as well. So a bit more of a challenge for them in terms of uh, 5G and uh, building that out. But uh, we will we'll be watching that one and uh, and and see uh, how things progress. All right, well that's us for this episode. So thanks everybody for uh, for listening in, and we'll be back again with another episode next week. All right, Paul Spain signing out. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.